Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, September 13th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com or on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. With us today is Carlina Veras, with whom I will be discussing her poem, I Like Living on the Edge, and my poem, Random Like Life. Before we get to that interview, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of September 14th. From Monday, September 14th to Sunday, September 20th, the Emily Dickinson Museum will be hosting their Tell It Slant Poetry Festival. You can find out more information at emilydickinsonmuseum.org. Again, that's emilydickinsonmuseum.org. From 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. British summertime, Blood Axe Books will be hosting their Cafe Writers Norwich Reading with Philip Gross and Heidi Williamson. You can find out more information at bloodaxebooks.com forward slash events. Again, that's bloodaxebooks.com forward slash events. From 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Norwegian and TV will be hosting the 19th episode of its 20-episode series, The Norwegian and Wind Carriers Challenge, where anyone can participate but only Canadian Indigenous youths between 8 and 25 are eligible for the prices, which includes a grand prize of a MacBook Pro. You can find out more information and register at facebook.com forward slash events or slash 644-547-309-458-680. Again, that's 644-547-309-458-680. From 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Books Are Magic will be hosting their Books Beneath the Bridge, Protests and Public Space featuring readings from Resistencia editors Mark Esner, Tina Escaja, as well as Resistencia translator and contributor Idra Novi and Carlos Aquasaco. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 768-598-593 985545 again that's 7685985939835445 from 6 p.m. Arizona time Christy White and Arizona State Poetry Society will be hosting their Mustang Poets open reading and discussion you can sign up by emailing azpoetryorg@gmail.com Again, that's azpoetryorg at gmail.com. From 8 p.m. Central Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting their Poets Playground Open Mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's poets underscore playground underscore. On Tuesday, September 15th from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It is a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet 
via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. On Wednesday, September 16th from 8.30 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting their weekly online open mic. You can find out more information on Instagram at Sidewalk underscore Beirut. Again, that's Sidewalk underscore Beirut. From 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting their Nuijinan Scott Talon, which showcases indigenous youths between 13 and 25 years old. This will take place on Instagram Live, and you can find out more information and RSVP at Nuijinan TV. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N TV. Again, that's at N-W-E. J-I-N-A-N-T-V. From 8 p.m. Eastern Time, a poet named Superman will be hosting his release therapy open mic via Instagram Live at a poet named Superman. Again, that's a poet named Superman. On Thursday, September 17th, from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Perth, Australia time, Make Magic Happen Press and Kelly Van Nelson will be hosting their open mic night at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 746-772-679-433-564. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 746-772-679-433-564. From 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Tiny Cover will be hosting their virtual open mic. You can find out more information and register at thetinycover.com forward slash events. Again, that's thetinycover.com forward slash events. From 7 to 8 p.m. Arizona Time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting their weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. On Friday, September 18th from 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Marquise 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling on Instagram at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's 10,000 Poetry. On Saturday, September 19th from 9.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. Arizona time, East Valley Poets will be hosting their poetry discussion and possible mini-workshop. You can find out more information and RSVP by emailing evpoets at yahoo.com. Again, that's evpoets at yahoo.com. From 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Moroccan Poets will be hosting their open mic via Instagram Live at Moroccan Poets. Again, that's at Moroccan Poets. From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, New Women's Space will be hosting their open mic night. And you can find out more information and register at newwomenspace.com forward slash events. Again, that's newwomenspace.com forward slash events. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet Saturday via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 6 to 8.30 p.m. Arizona time, Equality Arizona and the Virginia G. Piper Writing Center will be hosting their monthly Career Poetry Salon you can find out more information by going to Equality Arizona on Instagram. Again, that's at Equality Arizona on Instagram. From 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Arsene the Poet will be hosting their open mic via Instagram Live at r.sen. That's r.d.o.t.s.e.n. Again, that's at R-D-O-T-S-E-N.
On Sunday, September 20th, from 5 to 7 p.m. British Summertime, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their open mic. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 275-209-213-559-387. Again, that's at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 275-209-213-359-387. From 2 p.m. Eastern Time, Pure Ink Poetry, founded by our past poet guest Brandon Williamson, will be hosting their video slam. You can find out more information at pureinkpoetry.com. Again, that's at pureinkpoetry.com. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Carlina Veras. Hi, Carlina. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thank you so much for inviting me. You brought with you the poem, I Like Living on the Edge. Before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm from Dominican Republic originally, but I have been living in London for 14 years now in the summer. I'm a writer and a poet. Last year, I released a short stories collection in Spanish called Quindium Palacalor. I'm working on the English translation of that with a perspective here. And uh, it's uh, being translated in Italian and coming out this July. Mm. And I'm also working on uh, my poetry collection that I want to publish really soon, hopefully this year, if things allow by the end of this year. Oh, okay. Great. So you're saying the translations are coming out, the English translation that you're doing yourself? Yeah, that's for the short story collection that I published last year in Spanish. Okay. Um, that I'm working with a translator, actually, we're doing it together, uh, translating the whole book into English. So I'm hoping to have it ready by, by this year or early next year. I mean, everything is a bit up in the air at the moment. <laughs> right. So it, yeah, yeah, the pandemic is changing things a lot. Can you say the name again? Because it wasn't coming through. Yes, yeah, sure. It's called Junjun, which is like a slushy, if you will, like, you know, that cold drink in the summer that you have with ice, like crushed ice and then like plain savory. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a, it's a very kind of Caribbean, Dominican slang name for, for the drink. Mm-hmm. So it's called, the book's called Junjun Palacalor, which is like, in English it would be Junjun keeps you cool, basically. Oh, okay. Great. It sounds like a very must be a very interesting collection of short stories, just given the title itself. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you became a poet? When did you start writing poetry? I started writing poetry for go way back uh, when I was in school. <laughs> mm. Like as, as a very young girl, as a teenager. Uh, I mean, I've always written, and I started writing letters and diary entries. And- that was kind of my refuge, and still is writing. Like the way I, I actually make sense of the world is through the written word, mm-hmm. and uh, somehow kind of poetry just came through naturally. And I remember my first poems that were published. It was in the school uh, literary magazine, mm-hmm. and they were, you know, these like heartbreak, uh, very kind of corny poems. <laughs> When you're a kid and in love, it's very silly. But it's uh, it's interesting that obviously that's kind of how how I started writing poetry, and then it kind of all just blends into one. Mm -hmm. Is poetry your main mode of writing, or are you still pretty much? I mean, you, you wrote this collection of short stories, so I don't know if you are, in terms of the genres that you write in, if you pretty much are spread out in, in all all of these genres still, or if you particularly concentrate in any one? No, I'm actually quite spread out. So I, I, I write a lot of uh, fiction, mm. a lot of uh, short fiction as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also uh, exploring screenplays, I'm writing mm-hmm. that as well. I also write a lot of poetry because I think it 
so kind of artistic in, in a different way and even my, my fiction I think you know especially my flash fiction and that book in, in Spanish that I did mm-hmm. it's, it's very poetic in its way mm-hmm. so uh, I kind of mix and blend them as I, as I go along because I think that sometimes it's not oh this is just a poem sometimes you can have prose that is very poetic and, mm-hmm. I, and I, I really like that I like the experimenting and, and mixing genres and seeing were the feelings and the words they you know. Mm, mm, yeah. And when you were a teenager, when you began to write poetry, was there a particular incident that made you decide to turn to poetry? I've always loved reading. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm not really thought about that question. I fell in love with Emily Dickinson when I was like 14, 13. I still love her, actually, half the whole poetry collection, which I read every morning. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I even like memorized some of the poems when I was a kid and then and others as well, you know, just even you're learning in school like an English lit, there's a lot of classics and uh, mm. and I just kind of felt love with, with that also because it was such a contrast from uh, living in the Dominican Republic, I was, uh, my education was in English, so mm. uh, it was interesting to have my life everyday life in Spanish and my family and being out or whatever but then having your education in English it was just such a contrast and I and I enjoy reading poetry in English you know classic English or Shakespeare Browning or or whatever Mm -hmm. I love with Emily Dickinson because it just kind of expanded horizons for the way you feel and uh, I guess it was uh, when I wrote those poems I, I do remember them. I mean, they're, they're not very good. It's <laughs> just astounding and, and as a kid. But, uh, but it was interesting that I was actually in love with my best friend. Mm. Um, and he had no idea. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I think it just kind of, you know, it, it just went through that. I eventually told him, and then people of course laughed about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it must have been good poetry since your school did publish it. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess so, yeah. There was somewhere in my mom's house, somewhere, in a yearbook or something, who knows? <laughs> yeah. It was interesting because it was my first time, and I remember even when I submitted, you know, when you have the fear, like, oh, I, I don't know if this is even worth showing or whatever. Yeah. And the editor was like, no, 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 this is good, like, I guess not my first experience of having something published. Mm, okay, okay. In terms of the education, is it a, like a standard education to have English? Is it part of the educational uh-huh. system? No, it's not standard at all. The language is Spanish, and normal standard education is in Spanish. But there are some schools that teach in English, there are some American schools, uh, there's a third school and a Canadian school, depending. I went to an American school okay. since the age of not until uh, I graduated from high school. So my, my education was uh, different. Right. Uh, I, 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 all my subjects, most of my subjects were in English and then I only had some Spanish to just the maximum to fill the curriculum so that I can graduate with both an American degree and uh, Dominican degree depending on where I want to go to college, you know. Right, right. Huh, interesting. Well, that's not standard at all. It's, uh, just uh, a few schools that have that. Okay, okay. Thank you for enlightening us about that. So if you don't mind now, I, I would love for you to read your poem for us, I Like Living on the Edge. Uh, sure. Thank you. There it goes. I like living on the edge, cycling to work, eating shellfish, not washing fruits, downing yogurt past its expiration date, being somehow heavy by not avoiding anything, being out there exposed. I am here and somehow I feel I should be somewhere else. Maybe I am somewhere else, staying here. Now, that feels safe. I might try make it better. I stare at my phone, scroll, scroll, scroll. I've done nothing. 
I don't want to be so edgy, so sharp. Somewhere in between someone important and someone replaceable. Nothing is safe in all this writing. Maybe that is why I do it. All that is me. Hidden in words. Thank you. Appreciate that. So when when did you write this poem? I think it was somewhere last year that I wrote it. Okay. And I write every day as an exercise. This is something, you know, in the morning. Besides my diary entries, I'll just write every day. Mm. Then after a few months, then I go back to my notebooks. And then I basically go, oh, this is usable. This is not. Mm. This is usable. This is not. And then I kind of refine them, work on them, mm. pass them on, on the computer and, and all that. So I think this is from something last year. Okay. Okay. Was there anything that made you decide to write this particular poem? Well, I think it's sometimes when I thought about the edges, you know, I live in London and now it's a bit quiet because we're all staying at home and avoiding right. people and everything. But uh, right. um, it's, it's, it's such a big city and I think it's, it's maybe my response of, of me just kind of being in the thick of it in town, you know, mm-hmm. everything, taking the so many people and I think it's just a position of kind of loving the city but at the same time being fed up with it as well right right, right. and when you know that sometimes it's it'd be nice to have some peace but at the same time not and uh, and then I, I I guess at the end it becomes very autobiographical when it's like nothing is safe and all this writing it's, it's at the end it is and it isn't it is because because you're on your own and writing, but it isn't. You're exposing yourself, being so vulnerable. Right. Uh, so um, I, I also like that. Because when you're writing, when you have the black page, there is no one but the page to judge you. And for me, the page has always been my best friend. Then mm. anyone else, you know, whoever reads it, then it's fine. But, but it's done then. You know? It's a completely different experience writing than let's say if you're performing, if you're a musician or things like that, that it's all very immediate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there is, as you said, the vulnerability in, in writing, right? Because as you said, you are exposing yourself, especially a genre like poetry, right? Because it's always quite personal. Yeah. And I don't know if you, if you know this writer's Sorry to interrupt. Uh, there's this Irish writer called David Mitchell, and he writes usually like big, big books, and but they're normally split into novellas. And, and he always said that obviously, like the way writing goes, let's say hey, you, you write novels and there's a lot of space to make mistakes because you can, you know, go around the tangent or whatever. But then mm-hmm. uh, with a short stories, you have to be so kind of sharp and edgy. There's no space for mistakes. But there's even less space for anything in poetry because it's uh, and it's like the purest form of writing, if you will, mm. because it's so like you say it's so personal. At the same time, it's meant to be, go straight to the emotions. Right, right. It cuts through everything. I mean, there there are obviously poetic forms that are very long, like epic poems. Uh, you know, thinking of the Odyssey or something like that basically a yeah. novel-length poem. And, and you can tell the difference, too, because, again, similar to what David Mitchell said about novels is that you know when you have such a long poem, you can really get into tangents and, and descriptive details, which there are plenty of in Homer's telling of the Trojan Wars and such. But yeah. when it comes to like personal poetry, especially poems that we tend to write right on a as poets write on a daily basis uh, it just captures a moment so you kind of dip yourself into that moment and then you come right out of it as soon as you just don't feel it anymore i found it really interesting which i didn't notice when i was just reading it the cycling to work which i think you know (laughs) 
it is certainly very particular to London because I think people who have not lived in London and certainly have not cycled in London really have no idea how dangerous that is. Yes. cycle myself in London but I, I have have friends who've done it for quite a while and then still get into you know uh, accidents and get banged up because of all the congestion not only just the congestion but the sheer chaos of it I don't know it's been a long time since the ac- that particular accident that my friend got into I was wondering has London now constructed or put bike lanes in or is it just whatever you can do? No, uh, there are bike lanes for sure. And I think since when I, when I first moved here from now, uh, definitely it has improved. Um, mm-hmm. However, it's not Amsterdam or, or Copenhagen, you know, that is such a pleasure to, to bike <laughs> in or, or a small city like, like Windsor. It's still, it's still very intense and obviously you don't have the bike lanes in in every road right. or, or, or in, every, in every place, but definitely it is something more bikey friendly than it used to be, but it, it's still a huge city with a lot of people. It's just very really dependent. Like coming to my house is massive hill. It's just like, oh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, um, so that, that's, that, that's also it. And it's, it's just the distances, you know, going from wherever you're going, in public transport, wherever you go, it normally takes you an hour to go anywhere. Right. Or whatever. Even if you're not that far. Yeah. Um, there's the walk in there, they go get in the tube, and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and with the cycling, it normally takes me the same because I'm a slow biker in the end. I don't really do. I'm not really that competitive in, in my cycling. I just, I just like to ride. And I, I try to avoid the public transport if I can. And also, you, you, get, you get to see, you know, like different perspectives of the city. Sometimes you get, I, I get a bit just overwhelmed by getting in the underground, and, you know, just being under someone's armpit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'll take the risk of cycling if I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, for people who have not taken the tube because of the shape of it, it's literally a tube, right? I mean, or at least very closely resembling a tube. So you do feel like you are and d- during morning commute hours and also evening commute hours, you do feel like you're actually right up against someone. And the way that because it's shape that way everybody ha- has to especially if you're taller have to kind of be in the middle like <laughs> yeah, if you're tall have to be in the middle or you find yourself curved to the back right and, uh, uh, you know uh, funny you know i haven't taken public transport since lockdown ah yeah uh, not at all I, i've been working from home i haven't been any anywhere far i've, I've just just recently started with cycling and then just like the nearby parks, so I, I, I haven't, I haven't been able to really transport it again. After. So, but it's so who knows if that's gonna work. Social distancing in the tube is just not possible. No, no, especially for for morning commutes, right? It's just, yeah. Um, I think I was very fortunate when I was in London. I never had to experience that, but I I know about it. And, <laughs> and just the tube itself, it's it has a it has a claustrophobic feeling to it because of the, the shape, because the fact that you kind of need to bend towards the middle. It's quite interesting. Of course, there are different lines, and some lines do not have that shape anymore. Thank goodness. And also the cycling line, I, I found it interesting because I read at some point, probably when Meghan Markle married Prince Harry, that yeah. 
um, there are all these rules for the monarchy, including not eating shellfish because of the risks that come with eating shellfish. Right, right. There are, there are lots of lots of rules. But you know, like the shellfish thing was very surprising for me, especially given the fact that they travel everywhere, right? So shellfish will be one of those things that you think of as a luxury item that one as royalty would get to eat, uh, or at least would get served often. The other things you kind of understand because it's it's about outer appearances, but the shellfish thing was a surprise. Did that knowledge play any role in you putting that in your your um, poem, or just something more uh, personal? I, yeah, I, I didn't think about Meghan Markle or, or the or the royals <laughs> or the crown at all about it. I think it all came when my mom when when I. I was uh, much younger and living at home. My mom used to love shellfish, but she always got sick uh. <laughs> after she ate it at points. And this, if we were like in a resort, I remember times that my dad had to rush with her to the emergency room because so to speak, she ate something that didn't agree with her, and it was usually shellfish. Without even thinking about the crown, it was always something that I thought of being particularly a bit dangerous mm. just because my mom would say, okay, not me in particular, I didn't die for them. I think that that came a play, just, just thinking back about that, remembering, you know, experiences. But it's those things, I think, you know, that I I, I do, I, I like living on, on the edge and on, on, on the verge of things, so actually, you know, challenging opinions, challenging the, the world as we are, questioning it. And, whether it could be, you know, eating, eating a yogurt that was supposed to be eaten yesterday and I ate it like two days later. I just smell it and it's okay, I'll eat it. You know? right, right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not one of those going throw everything in the foot, you know, if it's past the days and like, it's it okay if this is smell fine. And, you know, I'll try it and then if it's too sour and I know it's not good, but, you know, right, right. whatever. <laughs> Yeah, those uh, shellfish allergies can be can be terrible, as you explained. But it seems like you you definitely have the inherited or that you know risk profile from your mom, who obviously must love shellfish to put herself through so much <laughs> risk. Over and over again, I'm like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a shame, but I I think hopefully some there's some medicine out there now that that could, you know, like uh help her so that she could just enjoy this yeah. bit of food, which is quite enjoyable for people who don't have to worry about the risk. It's it's like those people, you know, that love cheese but they're like allergic to lactose. Oh. And they know like they eat up like a cheese and they're not yeah, yeah, no, that's me. That's me. I love cheeses. I, <laughs> but you know, I I love I love every kinds of food. But it's it's kind of I realize now um, now that lactose intolerance is so much in the common conversation. I realize that I have it. <laughs> It's like when you're a kid, when you're eating something, you're not feeling well, you, you you think maybe it's something else. And also, I also found out that apparently it gets worse. Uh, I think probably every kind of allergy gets worse as you age. So. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. And it's interesting because we have made the mistake before. Um, I, I realized, um, and you, you had to read your other poem before. Uh, again, sorry about that. But it, it also made me realize that you put some of that into into your poetry as well. Because you, you mentioned being somehow heavy but not avoiding anything. So I, I yeah. would... So I, I was just wondering, obviously, it, it's something that you think about in terms of how people react to your appearance and 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 also your reaction to to your appearance and it's interesting because it 
in the beginning of the poem, it seems like a lot of sort of self-criticism in some ways, even though some some of the things are objectively terrifying, like cycling in London. <laughs> so, so I was wondering how come you decided to tease these things out, but you know, just touch on it and then leave it without going into much explanation. This is something that I've always thought. I don't know how you've experienced how, how it was when you were growing up. One of the things growing up was my mom telling me that if I wasn't thin, I, I wasn't pretty. And I've never been like too heavy. I'm, I'm not too heavy now. I'm not mm-hmm. ridiculous. But, mm-hmm. but, 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 it's, but it's something that, that, that I think that growing up always struck me, always thought, oh, you know, they're paying attention to the weight or, or whatever. And, and, I, and I always, and, and I thought, oh, here. Not necessarily on, on the physical heaviness, but also on the heavy of, of how I feel as a human being, mm. which is different. But I guess it, it, it also blends, you know, when I think about maybe the blubber in my head, mm-hmm. with the, 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 all the things that I'm thinking, and, and, and some, some thoughts don't concern me, that, that I should kind of cut down and be a bit leaner, have more space in my, in my brain, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Great. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I've had similar experiences where obviously it didn't originate with my mom, but she certainly perpetuated this idea that somehow you have to be a certain size. Your body has to look a certain way in order to, I guess, to be appealing. So it does, it does carry. It's frustrating. And I see also from you explaining it how it applies both ways to the mind and to the body, uh, especially with all that's going on now, right? It's, it's kind of difficult to avoid things, but at the same time, it can be mentally unhealthy to just take in all the information of all that is happening, all the you know, societal problems, and, and on top of a pandemic. And of course, London is certainly not exempted from some of the similar problems that we in the U.S. are facing because it is also a very cosmopolitan, very multinational city. Again, going back to the question that I was asking before, I wonder if you want to comment on why you decided to start the poem with more like a very personal, almost seems like self-criticism things. It's like you're picking yourself apart in some way. In this one, in the, I like living at the edge. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess when I write, a lot of it sometimes comes, comes out because uh, I, I grew up, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm better now and I kind of, you know, I find my demon to my lifesaver, which is my kind of, you know, <laughs> and then deal with life. But I guess there's always that over self-loathing of going, oh, maybe you should be better, or maybe you should be this, or why aren't you look at those people that are rocking it and you are not where you should be, or blah, blah, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I know in general that's not healthy, but I'm also learning as part of my journey to just acknowledge those feelings mm-hmm. and just put them on the page, you know, and, and, and say, and that's why, you know, uh, we're lucky because we're artists and we could, we could, you know, make art of, of our feelings, yeah, right. however they are. Right. So uh, I, I try to kind of appreciate how I'm feeling at the moment. Mm-hmm. Or it's always just remembering of, of things when, when I was a kid or the life that I was living or, or things like that. And, yeah, but it, it's funny, I, I appreciate how different people have kind of different takes of what you Right, because uh, you, you find it like a bit self-criticism, and I particularly just find it very objective in a way, just like, you know, this is, this is what I like to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it's because there are things scattered through the poem where it feels like you are observing yourself doing something and then you're saying to yourself, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing it right now. Like, I stare at my phone, scroll, 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 I've done nothing. Um, yeah. and then I am here and somehow I feel I should be somewhere else. So there, there are some lines where, again, there's that juxtaposition between observation and then criticism. So I, I thought it was, it was interesting because maybe in the first few lines, like the first stanza, for instance, you weren't using words like should, 
at the same time, it feels like because you're saying it, and also because you, later on you so you say, "I don't want to be so edgy." It feels like that. Oh, I'm observing myself, and now I'm I'm saying how those things might not might not work so well for me. So yeah, definitely. And there is there is that mixture, and I guess it's 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 part of that getting to know you know who we are as people. I'm going that as human beings, as much as we try to be objective in life, there's always that subjective feeling of, of you know, of maybe feeling too much or going, you know, either left or right or, or whatever have you. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, 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 that's true. And, and there's always, you know, that there are parts of me, I guess, that, that sometimes you go, oh, what if so many things? And I guess it, it, uh, it's in, in the feeling. Yeah, yeah, and and it shows very much in the poetry because it seems like you're you are at least in this poem you are trying to kind of adjust to certain discomforts and trying to figure out where you want to be. Like when you said, "I don't, I don't want to be so edgy, so sharp, somewhere in between, someone important and someone replaceable." So you you put this interesting dichotomy there. Yeah. So I, I was wondering if you mind talking about that particular dichotomy. Yeah, I guess that's the right word, this kind of dichotomy, because sometimes, especially nowadays in the world, everything, people, you know, want to be safe or, you know, always so careful with what you say or what you do. And I guess sometimes life kind of falls into the same. But then at the same time, it's like, no, you know, it should be how you should be. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, whatever. And I guess it's, that play of, of, of circumstances about what do I want to be in my life? Should I want someone that no one forgets? Or, or, or am I okay with just being someone coming and dying and being one of the same? And so it's, it's a self discovery that I guess is a journey that I'm still on. You know, sometimes it's, it's nice people to know who you are, but sometimes maybe, maybe not. Mm. You know? mm. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because you just made me realize there is that dichotomy, isn't there, in, in today's world where we are told to be very, very sensitive to everybody's feelings. And, you know, ironically, in order for people to feel comfortable to be themselves. So there, there is something a little bit oxymoronic about that. Yeah, definitely. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. And again, as a poet, I find it like it really resonated with me throughout the poem. But when you talked about nothing is safe in all this writing, but then you are, you are in all of it, partly because you are in all of it. At the same time, it does feel somehow safe because you are able to write it because there's that hidden aspects in this particular form poetry. And I, I think it's th- it's that resonance is that sort of how much of ourselves we put in our poetry, whether conscious or unconscious, and also how poetry can make us feel a sense of, the, or the act of writing poetry can make us feel a sense of agency. That um, I picked my poem to read with yours, which is called "Random Like Life." So I'm I'm going to. Yeah. Read- <laughs> so I'm going to I read that. I read I, I really love it. Thank, Thank you. For sharing. Thank you. So I'm going to read that and then we can we can talk about it. Yeah, I'm staring at light stick figures dancing on the ceilings again. How busy they look like ambitious New Yorkers fighting morning foot traffic to get to work reasonably on time. The jobs they hate, but afford a shrinking tiny piece of that Frank Sinatra song, or what damage it has done. I play temporary puppet master with the fates of men, egos slightly more well-fed than on other afternoons, though the body screams for more uninterrupted rest. As thoughts dart to the warmth of his chest, like an unruly toddler still to learn regret over getting what she longed for, and tears roll down to dampen the strings while I wish my sisters would cut me loose from this mess 
Is it really all up to me? We will not end the year with merrymaking set to expectations. Let them realize, like the whispers, they've refused to believe that life is that institutionally unfair. My scissors are platinum and diamonds and heavy, causing my hands to fall after a half-hearted raising. I ride the wheel to turn as it always has, adding the momentum of my weight. We shall talk about dead love affairs, like horses that trip before racing past the gate, finding glory only in a gelatinous future. But if that makes a still innocent babe smile in the accomplishment of her first glitter collage, that can't be all that bad. Who do I ask to get the right answer? It's really nice to think about many things. Yeah. It's really interesting. Obviously, I, I can see why you chose it in relation to mine as well, because there, there is the mention of in a different way, but there is the mention of, of the city, you know, living in New York, which has a similar vibe to London of being cramped, and, you know, and, and obviously the and you mentioned Frank Sinatra, the romanticism of obviously the song and, and all the beauty that is New York, but you're basically almost kind of criticizing the city, you know, way. Yeah, yeah. New York is, um, when you were talking about the biking, I wanted to say I, I, I haven't biked in London, but I have biked in New York. And similarly, there are places, too many places where there are no bike lanes. And I used to bike a particular route all the time in order to get to the bike lanes. And every time I was able to get to the bike lanes, I always sort of had this very very quick thought in my head sort of this half-formed thought in my head like phew i can't believe i survived that it's just that crazy so i i can definitely relate when i was reading your poem i didn't know where exactly you wrote it you know if it was because i already knew that you were not born in london at the same time I didn't know where you had said the poem. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about that aspect and then read my poem and realize that there are even more things that they share in common. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I really liked when you were talking about your sisters and life and how sometimes it would be nice to have other people, you know, get on with life for us instead of us having to go the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, right? When when we're overwhelmed and especially I was dealing I probably still am dealing with a little bit of an obsession with someone, as as you can see from that stanza. And when you are in that kind of mode, sometimes it's very difficult to get your mind off of it. So uh, when I was talking about my sisters, it's a classical reference to the fates, you know, uh, kind of wishing someone else would just, with a cut of their scissors, just get rid of that particular obsession for me rather than my having to work on it over and over and not really being able to better <laughs> handle yeah. this or, or get rid of it. So. Yeah, I know. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's, it's that part of being human that you don't really want to get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> you probably should, but it's like, oh, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, I, I also kind of talk about I make reference to some things that I think you might be able to relate to in terms of this institutional, I guess, prejudices that yeah. that is hard to convince people who never experienced it, what that is. And so I reference that in the third stanza. And it's funny because when I wrote this poem not that long ago, it was like the, in the last year. And I was going through some stuff as I am now because I also talk about not getting enough sleep. Yeah. 
I, I was going through a very hard time, and there were some things that just that was brought about because of institutional prejudices, and it was difficult to explain it to people. And I felt like I was unable to convince people of what was happening, despite the fact that it was happening, and. It was very frustrating, and so it made me feel very insecure. At the same time, because I'm writing poetry, I get to, in my poetry at least, you know, when we write poetry, we are world building in a very short period, but we are world building. And in building a world, you feel like a god in some ways. So that's why I was saying my ego is more well fed.、Uh, <laughs> Today, so and and also the reference again to the fates, to being one of the fates in this much smaller sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's really interesting and how obviously you're you're playing in that same small world that that you're building, as you say, with with the play of, of being something, being God, but at the same time being small or feeling small、mm. uh, within in your own thoughts or or whatever. But you're going. That's also really interesting. Yeah, and and I think similar, very similar to yours as well.、Um, especially, well, throughout the poem. But I, I I feel like I tend to do that with my poems, and you do as well. Especially in your poems, I like living on the edge. Yeah. That going from the literal to the figurative and back to the literal, and we know we're weaving in and out of that, but the readers might not realize it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But that that's okay, and and I and that's part of the fun to actually let the reader go wherever they want to, however they want to read that. If they want to read it differently or not, or actually interpret as in whatever they are, just once you write something and you share it, it's not ours anymore, right? It's, it's、yeah. actually everyone else's. It's, yeah, it's the world. That's and that's what I love about it. And one of the things that I love to do in my writing is to play I and. Mean, And, and let, let let people figure out for themselves, you know, where whatever they want to be, it could be, you know, really interesting. It could be something to you, could mean something to you, might might not mean the same to someone else, even the same poem. And and I think and I think that's great. And for me, like I I, I love the figurative and the and the literal and then going going along. I think they all blend with one anyway at some point. Right.、Um, because it's it's basic. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I, I think of、uh, what you said previously about how it's interesting what people pick out in your poems when they're reading it. As you said, you know, once the poem is shared publicly or with anyone besides ourselves, it takes on a completely different. Life of its own, it it becomes more alive because for everybody who reads it, they in some ways imagine a world that might be totally different than what you have envisioned when you were writing it. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting how the written word it can be a like an organic being in itself. It has the life of its own, and you know, even with you, you know, you you're reading it and you can actually. Read something that you wrote, and it could mean different things in different times, and the same for other people. And I don't mean that it could mean different things for different people. And I think it was something that one said that in writing in books, it's actually the closest form to telepathy that he knows,、mm-hmm. because you can anywhere. You know, you can grab a book, and you can be even in a small world of what poetry is, then or or in a big novel. You know, you do feel very powerful to be able to just through the sheer invention of your words, be able to put people in different places. Yeah, that's right, and that's that's that thing about fiction. I think so. Neil Gaiman said,、uh, "I was watching an interview with 
And he was saying that fiction can be dangerous because it, is, it proves, it shows you that it doesn't have to be the world, it has to be like it is now, that it can be different. Right, right. Right? It, it, it makes you think. And the same is true or any form of writing, which is why I, I love it so much because it just it makes you question how things are. And it makes you go, uh, especially if you are a writer and if you have that inclination as an artist or something. Like you were saying, you know, a little bit like God or going like, you know, let me have, have a go at this. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, as you said about the Neil Gaiman quote uh, about fiction being dangerous, it, it made me think of, you know, how in every political upheaval, one of the most beginning signs of something terrible that's going to happen with society is when political leaders start persecuting intellectuals, burning books, banning books, all of these things to keep ideas out, keep the imagination of what is possible out of reach for those who might be stuck in bad situations. Yeah, definitely. I really felt your questioning for, for life. And like you were saying, how you're going through your obsession, or what, what you're going through. And, and I think that is what the beauty of poetry is, that, that it's so, it can be so raw. You know, it's not that I'm going around uh, in a store or anything. It's just like this is what I'm feeling. So I, I, I quite, quite related to that. So I am a, an only nothing type of person, which I guess came across in my in my poem. How sometimes maybe I wish I had a bit more way of things. Maybe I, I wish I was a bit more comfortable more in the middle, but I'm, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, but uh, like some of what you said just now, I was a little bit difficult to understand. You were talking about how you, you wish you weren't such a, you know, like to the extreme person, you wish you could be more comfortable in the middle, and then it was difficult to hear what you were trying to say. Oh, okay. Well, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Say it again, please. It's not all 
magic all the time. And I think in your board, it feels like that, that you would, you know, that you have that very clear. Yeah, and I think that's, that's one of the sh things that we do share, right, in, in both of our experiences living in such cosmopolitan cities like London and New York, where uh, many people do are able to find their dreams or be able to be more themselves, sometimes in the an anonymity of the city. At the same time, it's certainly not always magical, and both New York and London have become more and more unaffordable over the years, so that it's very difficult to live up to some of these odes that, uh, like this Frank Sinatra song that talks about, you know, <laughs> if you make it here, you can make it anywhere. And you feel like when you look at the stratification that's uh, in both New York and London, you kind of feel like um, it's it's impossible. Um, it's Or at least it becomes even more and more difficult to live and how having that image set as a goal that somehow it's it's kind of unhealthy to try to live up to a song like New York, New York, you know? Yeah, or Alicia Keys, you know, whatever song that is, uh, that is kind of a hymn or, you know, an ode to us. City, which is which is also important because come on you know I wouldn't be living in your I mean in London if I wouldn't love it obviously right. or if I didn't enjoy it or didn't find you know different things that maybe the same for you in New York but at the same time it's it's just nice to have that bit of reality of knowing that there are two sides of the phone right I mean, obviously, I'm being unfair to poor Frank Sinatra, though. I'm, I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> you know? he, he's, uh, he doesn't have to deal with the pandemic, especially, you know, he's, before he passed away, he lived a life, quite a pampered life in terms of how recognized he was for most of his life for his talents. <laughs> in, in any case, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. In closing, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about one, how if, if you're reading uh, virtually, if you're doing any regular readings at virtual, virtual readings, or, and, uh, and also how people can follow you through social media or your website and whatnot. So uh, my handle is Carlina Veras with a K, mm -hmm. K A R L I A V E R R A S. So it's my name. It's really easy, and it's the same handle for both Instagram and Twitter that mm -hmm. are my social media accounts. I'm more active on Instagram, but I, I do write on both. I am doing these days quite a lot of virtual readings and poetry performances. And all that and I, I always I always advertise on Instagram what I'm doing uh, oh, great. At, at this moment. I, I also have a website which is again very easy to think, um, it's my name uh, www.carinavitas.com and yeah so you can find me there and uh, anyone can you know feel free to kind of follow send me a DM and uh, say hello <laughs> <laughs> cool. and then uh, uh, hopefully i um, like I say, I'm working on, on this poetry collection because I have written poems and I, and I really want to get them out in the world. So um, I'm working on this poetry collection for some of these poems. But this one, I think, is going to be there and a few others that I shared with you. And um, I don't have the specific date yet, but I hope that by the end of the year it will be out. And if people on social media, there they will go. Okay, great, great, wonderful. Well, um, thank you very much again for your time. I really appreciate this conversation that we got to have. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really lovely. Uh, I, love that. I love that sharing. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's nice to be a fellow writer and, and discuss the philosophy behind what we write. Normally, it's, it's a very lonely job, right, writing and then 
letting people figure it out. So it's nice to have these conversations every time. Yeah, yeah, it can be it can be very lonely, especially now, right? So um, I'm, I'm glad we get to talk about it as well. As always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.